0: Life's too short for crap marketing. The Got Marketing Podcast is for marketers, business owners, and entrepreneurs who want marketing that's fun, accessible, and meaningful. Join me, Mia Fileman, for inspired chats with my favorite marketing insiders about marketing that works, campaigns that inspire, and the fads, fakery, and false profits to avoid. Welcome to part two of my chat with brand centered strategist Melissa Packham. We're discussing fast moving consumer goods marketing. Now, sustainability and sustainable packaging, this is a really great trend. And I know that this is your zone of genius. So, what are you seeing? What are you liking? What are you not liking? (laughs) <laughs> I'm seeing a lot of
1: like 50% plant-based material like recycled or, fi- or 70% recycled or like just so close biodegradable that whole space like I'm thinking you know cling wraps so there's a whole there's a whole bunch of brands your classics who are all moving into the biodegradable or compostable options all great stuff this is stuff that sits on the shelf, right? So we're talking about sustainability that the consumer sees. It's what I'm not liking is a lack of action on the systemic front and the operational front. And I think that a lot of FMCGs are way behind in terms of actually delivering meaningful action on sustainability. And it goes beyond just environmental, but, you know, sustainability reaches out to, you know, supply chain and where we're sourcing our ingredients from and how how we're shipping our products between locations and all of that kind of stuff. So brands have a lot of power, have a lot of influence, just like the retailers do. I think the retailers are doing some action on this, or at least wanting to be seen to be. Mandates will be put in place. Brands will have to follow suit. But it's the brands that are ahead of that curve that I think will Actually, do well. First mover advantage, anyone? Yeah. But there's there's not a lot of that happening.
0: Yeah. I'm seeing a bit of greenwashing, of course. Oh, uh, a lot. Uh, yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> a lot. You know. <laughs> the, an, an example that comes to mind is um, so I love Zero Co., love their business model. It's insanely thought out from completely circular down to um, the refillable pouches you send back to Zero Co. They wash them, sanitize them, and then they send them back out. Morning Fresh has decided to jump on the pou- refillable pouch bandwagon, but their pouches are not reusable. So they just go into the bin. And so you're just like, mm. well, that's. Mm.
1: Oh, so the soft plastics that we can't recycle anymore, that's great. Like, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like it doesn't refill a full bottle. So. <laughs> You've now got this plastic pouch that doesn't even, like, you might as well just buy a whole other liter bottle because the pouch doesn't fill a liter, but now you've got to throw away the pouch. It's just... Yeah. And, and, and so we we know the conversations
1: that would have happened behind the scenes to lead to that it would have been we can sell two units for everyone yes now, and we can sell it at a higher price which gets a greater margin and we can reduce our shipping costs and distribution costs because they're smaller packages so you can see that that would have been a very easy business case to build but whether it was in the good of the environment or the consumer is probably left to be questioned
0: totally Absolutely. Oh, God. (laughs) All right. Let's talk channels and tactics for marketing an FMCG brand. What's important? Like online, social media, what's the right mix? It depends on the product. It depends on where the person is.
1: There's always a, a great tendency for, you know, the the CEO to kind of tap you on the shoulder and say, what's this uh, Twitter I hear about? Or what's this face, the book of face, you know, <laughs> like they're just, I've heard about it. There's a, there's a mention of it. And so the, you know, the desire to be seen on all the channels and omnipresence throughout everything is a problem for FMCG because that's the way it's always been. We've always been seen everywhere because we have the ability to have that presence. We've got the budget for it. Mm. And that's not necessarily the case anymore. And now like with all the channels that are available, that personalization and really hyper targeting is is an option that simply wasn't available to us you know 10 years ago, <laughs> only 10 years ago. So in terms of the channels it always starts with the consumer. Where are they? Where are their eyeballs? Or the shopper, who's going to buy the product off the shelf if they're the gatekeeper to the purchase, then, you know, how. where are they looking? What are they doing? And so always considering that path to purchase and a day in the life of that that consumer, that shopper, thinking about what their day looks like and really empathising with them. And that goes back again to what we we're saying about appreciating the, the on the ground, kind of observing people on the ground and really absorbing what's happening or sitting across in the, in the focus groups, like getting late night dinner and watching focus groups happening behind the mirror. But really empathizing and understanding what's going on in their world to understand where you can possibly interject. And then thinking about ways like to disrupt, right? Like disrupt the attention. They're seeing so many messages from all sorts of brands. So how can you use channels creatively or unexpectedly to gain attention? It used to be so much more simple. I don't know how brand managers do it now
0: (laughs) with all the channels
1: available.
0: Yeah. And which ones to prioritize. Yeah. So there's so many considerations. So the first thing is, is that you've got the physical space. We're talking about supermarkets, but it does like consumer goods can also be outside of supermarkets. But let's just use that as an example. You've got Shopping trolleys, you've got floor media, you've got wobblers. Oh my God, do you know how many wobblers I have designed in my life? <laughs> I, I know. Uh, yeah, I'd forgotten about them until you said it. <laughs> yeah, you've got the Woolworths magazine, the Coles magazine, which I mean, I freaking love that. I get all my recipes from there. You know, I know I can get the ingredients from Woolworths. Mm. Um, so then you've also got like the car park leading into the supermarket, you've got the billboards on the road on the way to the supermarket. All of this, as you said, path to purchase is really important because what you want is that when they're standing in front of the shelves, and they see four facings, Chris's dips, three facings, (laughs) black swan dips, they're just like, black swan dips, why am I called to Mm, mm. buy black swan dips? And it's like, they don't even know that subliminally in the car park 20 minutes ago, they actually saw, you know, a corn chip being dipped. So that's something that online businesses never have to think about really, Mm. is that physical environment. And when we're talking about Stores. We're talking about 850 stores. <laughs> like we're not talking mm. about one store. So mm. you need to buy a lot of wobblers, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of wobblers, a lot of
1: media. Yeah, yeah. A lot of that marketing budget goes on the production side before it even leaves the door, and you just hope that it it gets the cut through and and gets that yeah p- builds that three sixty degree campaign so that you are planting those seeds. But that it goes to like. That theory around mental availability and physical availability is—you've got to have the balance of both in order to be. That's the Byron Sharp, how brands grow. But that's certainly the case uh, for FMCG more than more than any any other sort of mantra is to kind of remember that. Um, yeah, you've got to plant the seeds on the way and that, that path to purchase. I've never, I've, I haven't done one quite like it since FMCG because it just it just doesn't apply. <laughs> you know, it doesn't apply to a service-based business and it doesn't apply necessarily in an online space so yeah it is quite a, a a piece a tool that um is is quite unique
0: yeah and then it's brand like brand mm-hmm. advertising and for fmcg brands are some of the biggest advertisers in the country so you know like you're watching the block and cadbury uh, you know have a commercial and then coke have got commercials during the fifa women's world cup i mean it's big big dollars and that's about planting that seed while you're at home watching television and like creating that nice warm fuzzy feeling um, and affinity with that brand so that when you get to the store you are prepared to pay more for that brand um so you're like yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna get cadbury chocolate as opposed to a a cheaper brand of, of chocolate yeah absolutely
1: That's a really great point about the sort of, it's the psychology, isn't it? Like you're creating a psychological affiliation with the brand, you're tapping into neuroscience in terms of where they're seeing the brand and uh, all the other things that are built around it. I know something that's quite close to your heart is that, you know, sound as part of a brand identity is equally, you know, as powerful, if not the most, one of the most powerful triggers of remembering a brand and connecting that. So, it's the whole gamut across that path to purchase.
0: Yeah, it is. And so like for new brands in grocery, they think that they've won the lottery, you know, like, oh, I've just been ranged in Woolworths. I'm going to be in 720 stores. This is it, game over. And it's like, you don't know how quickly you're going to get thrown off those shelves Mm -hmm. if you don't move product and move product quickly. And if you're a new brand, you probably don't have the the above-the-line dollars to spend on massive advertising campaigns. Mm. And so you have to get scrappy and you have to get really creative and you have to get really clever. And the best way to do that is with packaging. Yes.
1: Yes. Packaging design. And it is a specialty. It is a special area of design. I I loved packaging design. Same. Photography. Yes. Photography and yeah different elements and creating you know brand strips that you know block a whole shelf it's not just the individual pack but what do all of the all of them look like together it's it's a
0: science this is where my love of grocery comes from supermarkets i love landing in a new city and just walking through and seeing their packaging the shape the size the color the how big is the the font the materials that they use i mean like When Carmen's launched in Australia, that was so innovative, Mm. that packaging design. Like no one was doing anything like that in in cereal. It all looked like American sugary, massive boxes, bright pop colours, starbursts everywhere. And then all of a sudden Carmen came with this really gourmet looking muesli great product photography, like black, black in cereal, Mm, what, mm, what, dark green, Yeah, black, it was, and it flew off the shelves because people were just like, oh, this gives me market vibes, like I'm buying my cereal at the farmer's market, at the Paran market, at the South Melbourne market, and like that definitely inspired us at Black Swan to create like more deli type looking packaging for our dips as opposed to big ugly tubs. Yeah,
1: big placky tubs with a big placky lid on it. And yeah, it's just not not super sexy. But you're right, that whole disruption and that that's a, a key strategic play. So one, activating that, that P of the marketing P's packaging and then try to cram everything that you want to cram into it, um, all the benefits on the side and making sure you've got the nutritional panel and all of that. But yeah, how do you use that as a key marketing tool, especially if you are a brand that doesn't have the media budget to support um, above the line or even below the line? Even like an in-store point of sale or activation cost a bucket load of money that is just not accessible to a lot of brands. So yeah, it definitely has to be the both, both like a two-pronged approach. Just getting on the shelf is not a guarantee of, uh, of success. And it's a brutally quick window if you don't succeed. So, if you're not getting the rungs on the board, then um, you're out in the next planogram.
0: Yeah, well, actually, like now when you go and you pitch to be on the shelves, they want to know how much money you're going to spend mm. to support the brand. And, like, mm. you you can't just be like, yeah, I'm hoping that with cool packaging and an innovative product to begin with, like a vegan cheese, that it's going to get the job done. No, they're just like, well, no, because we've got craft launching a vegan cheese and they're going to spend millions on um, television, radio, advertising, product sampling, competitions, Discounts, and so we're not going to go with a little scrappy startup um, vegan cheese company unless it benefits them. Unless it benefits the retailer to use that small
1: as leverage and to yeah. <laughs> to play against the big incumbent brands. But certainly, those little brands get used as as pawns sometimes in in the game. Oh well, yeah, which sucks. But yes, they want to know how you're driving shoppers into their stores uh, explicitly and. Um, then it brings a whole like question about the concept of rented space. You know, we talk about social media as being borrowed platforms, but there's nothing more borrowed than a retailer shelf. Like you're there for, a, you're buying a spot for a little bit of time. Yeah, that's short-lived if, you, if you're not sort of showing the rungs on the board. But yeah, brands have very little sway, especially if they're not big brands.
0: Exactly. And the margins are really, really tight. Oh, like so it's crazy. So bad. It's crazy margins. You get squeezed for every dollar, but then you're also expected to go and invest huge on brand. I mean, like it's a volume game. Like if you can mm-hmm. sell a lot of that product, it, it's profitable, but it's, you need to sell a lot to make mm-hmm. it back. So you just mentioned social media. What do you think the role of social media is with FMCG? Well, I think it supports the brand marketing
1: side, but it also per- supports campaigns. So Mm. you only have to look to the big ones to know like how that, how that all plays out. you know, the recent Coke campaign, the Y3000 limited edition is just, it is an example of a limited edition product that's here for a short time to generate, you know, brand love, get get low category buyers back into the category to buy again and, and give it a try. But have what they've done really cleverly is to activate user-generated content by having a, a you know a mystery flavor that you have to taste. And so every influencer on on social media, uh, on every platform is is talking about, you know, is doing the big reveal of what the what the flavor tastes like. And so they didn't have to pay for that. That's brilliant. How clever mm. is that? It's just get your consumers to do it for you, leverage the brand love or the intrigue factor, and get them to push it for you. So that's how brands are using social organically. They're certainly paying for a lot on there too. And that, that's the other thing is that they are paying lots of money, which then, again, edges out smaller brands where they potentially, you know, in the early days of, of paid social, they probably had the, the, the upper hand over big brands who were still very slow. I, I know the brands I worked on were very slow to social media and to warrant the support and ongoing like consistent support it's a challenge for big brands because it's not just, you know, a consumer thing like a small business would, would engage on social media. It's we need a customer service. We need product, you know, quality. We need, we need input from all of these people. And that's just not viable for a lot of brands to, to give that support, especially for smaller brands.
0: Yeah. Got Marketing is brought to you by Campaign Del Mar, a marketing education platform for marketers and entrepreneurs. Learn practical, repeatable and Actionable steps to market with confidence. Nail your email marketing strategy or join Campaign Classroom and learn to create memorable and effective marketing campaigns. These are not the kind of online programs where you are left floundering, unsure how to put theory into practice, nor will these programs sit unfinished for months. You can expect hands-on, tailored advice, accountability, and a supportive community, and you will walk away with lifelong marketing skills. Learn more at Campaigndelmar.com. I reckon if I was a brand manager today and I was looking at having to prioritize, I would not make social media As big a priority. Hang on, I'm just going to caveat by saying my own social media accounts. I would pay a shit ton Mm, to influencers mm. to evangelize on my behalf and like every month run TikTok challenges to see how they can ocean spray my brand um, and and give it that kind of glow up because that was amazing. What? that Incredible Skateboarder did for Ocean Spray is like textbook how you should use social media marketing in 2023. But I wouldn't overinvest in my own social media accounts because people are going to follow those accounts anyway. Like if you see Maybelline pop up on Instagram, you're going to be like, yeah, I'm going to follow Maybelline. But then also I'm not really going to engage with Maybelline's owned branded channel as much because its it, it's got to be so broad. It's got to be appealing to all target audiences and all locations and all of that. I just wouldn't be like, you know, relentlessly posting five times a week on my organic social media accounts. I would have the accounts there and I would have them active, but I would be big in influencer collaborations. Yeah, 100%. It, no one's hiring me, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Not yet. Not yet. (laughs) But yes, at that level where it's just, it's so bland. It's, it's, it's for no one. It's it's trying to be for everyone and in doing so it's for no one. It does make it feel corporate, but yeah, it, it always intrigued me the uh, people that follow big brands like that. Even when I was working for the big brands, I was like, why, why are you here?
0: What do you want? Yeah. What are you looking for? However, like zero co- and Oatly and who gives a crap? Social media accounts are freaking epic, but they are so, taking a very different approach.
1: Yes, cult approach. The cult, the cult led like ground level. I mean, like you know, getting people in on the ground level, and it's not a mass thing. It's we support the cause, we support what you're doing, and we're you know, it's it's now going to the masses as a result. So the, that following is different, and it's personality led, values led. It's so much like who gives a crap in Oatly? What a great, great couple of examples of personality-driven content that goes across every single touch point. And that's mm. another big word that's used in FMCG: is what are the touch points? <laughs> Where will we reach our people through that path to purchase? Um, but they both have, you know, incredible, engaging, consistent content that that gets people following and sharing and talking about it
0: yeah do you know what it is though it's the how the sausage is made it's building Mm. in public like Mm -hmm. Mike Smith from ZeroCo has taken us on this journey and we've gone we've we've ridden the highs and we've ridden the lows and like I feel like I have been part of watching this brand evolve from Kickstarter campaign in 2011 to now getting ranging in major grocery and I'm like wow like it's that it's the it's almost voyeurism right Mm,
1: yeah yeah Yeah. and supporting the underdog Aussies love to support underdogs so it's that it's seeing the trials and tribulations and you know the the Goliath in this scenario are the big brands that have been you know the multinationals so while we might have you know, a connection with those big brands because they've always been in our lives. There's the nostalgia factor. These little brands can cut through because they're sharing their personal story. They're putting a human face on who's behind the brand and what the mission is. And and so, yeah, of course, we want to support that. Mm. The next level is supporting it with our dollars consistently. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah. Now, you mentioned Byron Sharp earlier, and one thing that we haven't really spoken about yet is just the level of discounting that is required mm. in fast-moving consumer goods. You know, 20% off, buy one, get one free. And Byron Sharp has some really strong views about how discounting doesn't actually work. Mm. Um, I'd love to hear you, your opinion on it and what you think.
1: Ah, oh, I'm so taught. Like, but yeah, he's the thought leader in the space that challenges everything that you think you know as a marketer, especially in FMCG. Um, sometimes discounting is ticket to the game. You have to discount. Mm-hmm. That's part of a support package with a retailer. It is a, a leverage point. It's a quick and easy way for everyone to grasp that a, con- a consumer is going to buy something because it's it's incentivizing them mm-hmm. in a way that we don't have to part with. There's no more things that we need to build into this. We don't have to host anything else on you know in the, on the shelf. There's no giveaway. Like it's just it's a straight up. You buy it for this price. And you don't have to reduce your margin necessarily for the retailer because that's kind of mandated, um, and it's just a cost of doing business with with those big players. So, I, while there might be academic support for not needing to discount, I, I don't, I don't think that's true in in real life in all cases.
0: Yeah, I don't think you get a choice. We certainly didn't. <laughs> it was like you had to run you know, three, four, I can't remember the number, five, 20% off sales every year, no matter what. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's just what you had to do. And and otherwise, again, you lose your ranging, which actually brings us to the point about how fast moving consumer goods, you have two very distinct customer segments, which is the retailer, which is completely B2B. And then you've got the end user, which is B2C. And having to play to both of those customers is really, is, is a lot for brand managers.
1: It, it is a lot. Um, and brand teams, like, you know, the extended team involving the sales team and the trade marketing team, which, you know, manage whole other areas. Um, but pricing is a big part of that. I think that it's hurtful to watch your brand be discounted on a frequent basis because it erodes in, in you know for a premium brand or you're trying to create a positioning and a perception around a brand being worth paying more for. and then you've got the retailers enforcing constant discounting that hurts. Yeah. <laughs> it hurts to watch because you teach your your shoppers to buy on discount and they know that they can wait. They know Tim Tams are going to be on special in, you know, next week. Just wait. They'll buy something else or they won't buy until they buy something else that, you know, the next
0: time. So it hurts. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Byron Sharp's point is that, is that, you know, people will delay the purchase mm. or you're conditioning them to just buy on on sale. Mm. But also a key point is the fact that People would have bought at full price because they're loyal to that brand. Like mm. I don't know about you, but like I'm always going to buy my favorite products at the supermarket. It doesn't matter mm. what the price is. And so you giving me a twenty percent off is is just giving me a discount that I didn't need. Yeah, exactly. I was going to buy it.
1: Yeah, but that's the drug that the retailers are on in a way, and like that a lot of that in that middle space where they're negotiating price. That's that's. The thing that they know, the lever that they can pull, um, that makes it look like they're doing good for their customers to pass on some savings, you know, create savings, yeah. um, and yeah. so they come off as the hero. They can pop it in the catalog, or that we have to pay for, and then, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, they might make a little plastic mini if we pay for it, and they can they can be collectibles. But yeah, I I agree that the brand, the academic argument doesn't stack up in reality as in it's just not happening because it has to be across the board or
0: (laughs) or it doesn't happen yeah and then they'd like they've I don't know about you but we were doing like massive like cost benefit analysis where we're like all right is it better to do frequent 10 percent 15 percent discounts Or is it better to just like rip the band-aid off and just do two big 50% offs and get it done? Like what is so much science that goes into what level of discount and at what point does it is it diminishing returns? Like as long as you give them 20% off, you're gonna get them no matter what. You don't have to go to 40% off. It's fascinating I think it's fascinating.
1: It's a fascinating space. Some of the smartest people I ever met in FMCG are sitting, like that's their role is to model what that pricing and discounting model looks like for brands to get that you know maintain that profitability yeah very oh, wow. clever very <laughs>
0: clever all right let's talk about the explosion of e-commerce and the implications on fmcg
1: Yes, I was thinking about this
0: with the, in the context of
1: AI, like what an interest if you're an a digital native in you know that's your retail space, then you're going to be able to leverage the benefits of AI a lot easier than other brands who are not native to the the online space. So I think that's an interesting watch out. Mm. Obviously there's risks with every opportunity, but that's that certainly seems like an interesting one to me um but then yeah the ability the smaller brands have a greater ability to play in this space and that's potentially where they can get their their first rungs on the board so to speak before looking at a major for retailing
0: yeah so the thing that people need to know is that fast moving consumer goods are not ideal for e-commerce because the margins are tight huge sale volume and so like shipping becomes an, a big issue tight profit margins and then not to mention perishable products like you know if we go back to black swan and parmalat then yeah you you're no, no one's sending fresh dips across the country yeah but i really loved what you said about how if you're a new brand and you want to make a case that you should be in grocery a nice way to start is by building an e-commerce platform and and demonstrating demand and making Mm. a case to then take to a major retailer and say, look, we bootstrapped this. (laughs) Yeah. Now give us some shelf space.
1: Yeah. And if you can tap into, you know, a subscription model or a repeat purchase model that demonstrates that ongoing shoppability, then that's a big case. And, you know, I, I don't know how big the delivered to your door. Like, you know, I know that retailers are tapping into Uber and and other delivery models, but that could potentially be a way in for the you know, if you've established that occasion and that purchase model, then that could be a, the easy step into that um, as an exclusive for either of those retailers, I guess.
0: Yeah. The thing to know is that customers are lazy. And, Mm -hmm. you know, yes, I could buy a more sustainable toothpaste brand online and it can ship to me. But at the end of the day, am I really going to do that? Or am I just going to go to Woolies and just pick up a tube of toothpaste because I don't care that much about that purchase. And so if you are a FMCG brand and you are e-commerce, then you need to, I think, again, no one's hiring me, <laughs> but um, I think what you need to do is that you need to convince me it's worth going the extra step, yes. just like ZeroCo have done. It's worth making this a little bit more difficult to get cleaning products into my house because it's better for all of us, it's better for the environment, it's better for the future, it's better for the planet. And, yes, I have to go to a bit more effort because I have to order the refills, I have to remember to order the toilet paper, and you know, then I have to send back the the refills, but they've convinced me mm. it's worth it. But I'm yet to be convinced that I should be ordering toothpaste or sugar mm. online. Yeah, brands like that have to over-index on the emotional benefit
1: and and the values and purpose alignment for sure. Mm. And And to hook it to like create the occasion, create an occasion, reframe in the consumer's mind what that occasion looks like. So what that purchase behavior looks like these are important things that need to happen, right? So this is like this is happening now, and it's a brand benefit to those brands that have established that. But it's actually going to need to happen if to create a sustainable economy, like full stop. <laughs> so um, consumer behaviour will need to change. We will need to drop the convenience that will be, the brands that will succeed are the ones that have a sustainable model that still feels convenient. And so, Mm -hmm. or that teaches consumers that it's worth that. So, like you were saying, it's just, I'm flipping the benefit now from convenience to, um, you know, a values alignment or um, a a different model that I haven't been used to before.
0: Yeah. So, that leads us in perfectly into how you can, work with brands, like how you help them, right? So do you want to speak to that for a second? (laughs) Sure, a little cheeky plug, okay. So
1: my approach is it starts with brand first and so getting that purpose and values really clear. So once you've got that, you've got a roadmap then or the guardrails to follow for everything else, every other decision. And so I'm inviting small to medium-sized businesses and big ones too if if they're ready to play to have a look at what brand does at a systems level across their organisation and how it then dictates who we buy from, what we actually buy, what claims we make, what we say about our sustainability and ethical purchasing. What does our pricing structure look like? What's the business model? All of the things, how we make it, how we take responsibility for the waste that is created, and if it's not circular, what could it be? If it's not relying on third-party suppliers who are not going to be around, a uh, um, red cycle. Mm. You know, I can't rely on those businesses to solve my waste problems for me. Yes, and I cannot rely on consumers to solve my waste problems for me. So, if that's a challenge, then how do we look at this as a whole system? And that's why. My approach is the, you start with the brand and the values and let that answer that for you and you figure it out and you work across the whole thing uh, to, to get to that end point where you're now talking about it with consumers and ch- helping change their behavior and changing their minds and having them buy into your cause, um, which might be toothpaste or it might be <laughs> you know, cleaning products. Who would have ever thought that you would be emotionally connected to cleaning products? This is the world we need to shift to. And so that's how it comes; it falls out for me in, in the way that I help businesses.
0: Yeah, and um, you are brilliant. I like you are my go-to oh. brand strategist for the objectivity that I need in my business. And I know that you can help much bigger brands create much bigger impact than, than my little business. But yeah, you're oh. awesome. <laughs> Oh, thank you oh my gosh such an ego boost when I come on here thank you Mia <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much that was another incredible episode with you I think we're gonna have to split it into a two-part banger <laughs> I really really love that chat thank you so much Melissa oh thank you that was therapeutic and felt
1: really great to dive back into the archives there thank you <laughs>
0: thank you. You listened right up until the end. So why not hit that subscribe button and keep the good marketing rolling? Podcast reviews are like warm hugs. And they're also the best way to support a small business. You can connect with me, Mia Fileman, on Instagram or LinkedIn. And feel free to send me a message. I'm super friendly.